Blog Talk Radio. Why don't you come on out to the Hey Girls Americana Radio Show, hosted by Song River and Carol Pacey of Carol Pacey and the Honey Shakers. All coming to you live on KWOD Independent Internet Radio, broadcasting from the Ice House Tavern in Phoenix, Arizona. All sound recorded and mixed by Vintage Note Records. Come on out, check out the show, and then visit the website at blogtalkradio.com backslash KWOD radio. We'll see y'all out there. This is KWOD radio, and this is Patty Holstrand, and yes, we're on live. We're on live. We're on Al and, Al and Joe are here, and we're going to talk about the next space. And we are getting, kicking off and started and getting started here. Uh, not sure what that is, but we'll see. Before we get started, just wanted to let you know that it is a live show, so therefore you can call in at 714-242-5145. Please keep it to the subject at hand, which in this particular show is manned space flight. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Al. You're not going to do the station identification and the announcements and all that stuff ahead of time? I'll do it later. You're going to do it later. Okay, so you're going to put stuff off until... Uh, well, that way I know how long you're going to talk. Oh, you know me. I'm always getting long-winded. I had already did one commercial, so... Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Well, that's that's, that's cool. Okay. I think so we, I took care of some business so, here. <clears throat> good for you. I'm all okay. for taking care of business. <laughs> I, already got your, I already got your first one up there. All right, then let's jump right into the news for the week. Okay, very first thing right off of the top, uh, our oh, new... I wish you say Happy Thanksgiving. Well, Happy Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving. to everybody. Yeah, uh, including astronauts, because they, they got to have Thanksgiving dinner on the Which, on the space station on Thursday. Yeah, so that's um, in the news. Yeah, Yeah. and, and also, uh, <laughs> in fact, uh, as I understand it, the day before Thanksgiving... The other three members of the current crew actually launched on the uh, <clears throat> shortcut trip to the ISS. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Now, you remember, shortcut, yeah, yeah. It's, it's about a six-hour time from launch to docking, which is a we, big difference. We talked about that last week. Yeah, right? it was, it's a lot, uh, a lot bigger deal because it, it, it gets them there quicker, right. although it does take a good bit more fuel. Right. So but I'd be interesting to see. I, I'm uh-huh. curious. I'm going to have to find an article that talks about the differences of how the, the shortcut works and how it compares to doing the three-day trip. So, but yeah, that's, um, check out that link. They've actually got a couple. They've got a video of the launch and a video of the docking as well in the article. So check it out. Um, they go into some detail about the crew members. Um, and, you know, the actual, the thing about it is five hours, 48 minutes from launch to docking. That's just incredible. I, I mean, we're, we're so used to waiting three days to hear that they actually got there okay, and here they're doing it in in six hours now. So this is this is. Uh, but not without, you know, obviously they're taking uh, you know, some risk there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So definitely um, a lot of stuff. Trapping that rocket to to the hind end, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Um, 
Next up, also in the uh, uh, ISS area, or excuse me, arena. NASA arena, uh -huh. NASA puts a billion-dollar space medicine contract out for bids again. Okay, now apparently um, <laughs> these uh, the contract will be awarded at least two years later than planned because of prolonged sparring between. Wiley Laboratories, and SAIC. Now, the performance contract was released for bids on the 20th of November and is a follow-on to a bio-astronauts contract awarded to Wiley from El Segundo, California in 2003, now worth about $1.5 billion. Now, their contract expired in April of 2013, and they've been dueling bid protests that began to spring have forced NASA to extend the deal through 2015. And of course, um, this is the contract that does a lot of the stuff, the experiments and so forth, uh, biomedical research and so forth that, that happens on the space station and so forth. So definitely a lot to read about in this article. So check on it and uh, keep up. There's a lot of stuff going on these days. Keep up, yeah. I mean, yeah. you were saying that it was kind of been kind of a small, uh, you know, small news week. Yeah. And I said, reminded you, it was a holiday. And uh, that's probably a good reason why, you know, you don't have much news, but before she to come anyway. Right. <laughs> so, no, no. Oh, no. You're doing the show, all right. <laughs> okay. Now, did you get that up, that last one there? Uh, yeah. Should be another one? No, it's not showing up. Okay. So. What do I need to do? There's what I need to do. There it goes. Now I can see it. Now coming up this month, we've actually got some exciting stuff coming up for the month of December. So I'll just to give you a heads up, one of the articles that we talked about, we're hearing a lot in the news about this, and that's, of course, um, the SLS launch of uh, Orion capsule for the very first time. Uh, and seriously, I mean, everybody seems to be on board, or at least a lot of people are making noise about it. So the, it's just a few days away, uh, and so excitement is growing. And NASA's proposed some ways to express support for the Orion mission. People were asked to channel their international artists, unleash your creativity, a coloring sheet, uh, and so forth. And so they're doing a lot of stuff to try and encourage people to be involved. There's a nice uh, picture of, uh, that's Elmo, right? <laughs> that's Grover. Oh, that's Grover, okay. Yeah, Jesus and, Grover. Right, so we're trying to, they're trying to get a lot of people on board for a lot of this stuff. Um, so check it out. It, it's got some information about this stuff, but more about the people getting involved, which is something that we lack today. Getting people involved in Human spaceflight, manned spaceflight, is real important. And um, so we want to keep up with this kind of stuff. Um, moving on, okay, NASA research, kicking it again. Now we're talking about NASA coming up with a 700-calorie breakfast bar. Why would they need that much? Well, I don't know. I suppose to get a good start on the day. I mean... When you consider, astronauts use quite a few calories in, in the course of a day. Um, the average crew member aboard the ISS eats 3,000 calories a day. 
a level needed to support two hours of daily exercise required for bone and cardiovascular health and microgravity. Okay. And of course, they're trying to get create this this uh, uh, health bar mm-hmm. as a meal. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. to replace the time for the meal. And I, and I suppose... Um, I know my son does that. Yeah. He grabs, but, he grabs the breakfast bar and he heads out to college. Right. But we don't know what the repercussions of this are. Right, right. You know, our bodies are designed to work a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've talked about this before, how while it's interesting that engineering sciences are developing new ways to do things, I question the potential uh, for serious repercussions in the short or even the long term when we break away from um, the the typical, traditional, natural processes that our body is designed to use. I mean, we've already learned steroids. Uh, the quick route to muscles is a bad thing. Right. All sorts of side effects. Mm-hmm. We've looked at many of the diet pills and many of the alternative diets also have serious side effects. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we've talked about over the years, we've seen all sorts of issues with trying to cram um, food or even meals into down to the point of a single pill, and it just doesn't seem to work, no matter what we do. There's always serious side effects. So, well, while not not to mention that you know, reason why people smoke is for the sensation of smoking, and that's one reason. So here we had this desire to chew. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that the, the, I mean, I've seen some um, some food bars, and while they do satisfy that sense of need to chew. We are meat-eating predators, meat after eating all. Predators, right. we, we, that, that's in it's in our genes. It's it's what we are. And when you know, kudos to people who want to be vegetarians. But I got to tell you, our bodies crave a certain amount of meat, or of protein, red meat, or, or protein based. Yeah. Okay, I'll rephrase. It's animal protein our bodies need. <laughs> okay. Okay. And, and granted, we can get some of that from. Um, fish, some of it from chicken, but the reality is is that the kind of meat our bodies are craving is typically the red meat. It is the most power-packed meat that we can get. There's lots of energy in it. There's lots of energy, there's lots of iron, there's lots of all of the stuff that we need, well, most of the stuff we need. So, you know, little things to, to think about, as, as I've said before, one of my questions that I constantly look at is are we over-engineering things to the point that we're losing sight of the things that actually benefit us over the long haul? Mm-hmm. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's one thing to um, create all of this technology, but we're finding in our homes, in our cars, in our meals, that many of these engineered solutions are actually bad for us. Yeah, it makes me wonder when they start doing the 3D tacos. That I guess you know. I'm sorry, but 3D tacos. Yeah. Where'd that come from? I had article on that once. Oh, you did. Yeah. 3D tacos. 3D tacos. tacos are already 3D. What are you talking about? It's 3D printed tacos. 3D printed yep. tacos. Yeah. Look it up. Okay, <laughs> that's just scary. That is just absolutely I know, I go, scary. I go, I'm like, okay, that's... Now, did you, know. you post the link? 
for this? Yeah, yes, I you did. did. Good for I you. Did. Okay, so you're staying up on track. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, another thing that's been in the news, in fact, quite a bit over the last uh, month, is uh, people watching about uh, what's been happening with the 3D printer that was sent up to the International Space Station. Speaking of 3D printing, it's just for retiming. <laughs> that's true. I really don't think they want to print 3D tacos up on the space station. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, i got to tell you, if the 3D printer is spitting out little chunks of hamburger meat, that, makes that, that just that's looks nice. wrong. Yeah. Especially with that red, have, spicy juice have, coming off of it. I tell you, I got to tell you. I don't think I'm going to get any juice off of those 3D printers. Sorry. <laughs> no juicing. <laughs> Not a juicer. I mean. It's a 3D printer. <laughs> but, you know, thinking about printing this, this stuff, if you're, if you're printing these little globs of meat on, on, on this thing, I swear, it just reminds me of the idea of sitting on a toilet with, with, I, oh, no, with toilet paper no. underneath. What? I mean, that's what a 3D taco think, makes me think of. Oh, jeez. Well, it's a little clumps dropping on the on the white stuff. Okay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, there, there's an image for you for the whole rest of the night. So enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to NASA's 3D printer. They actually printed their, their first um, uh, sample part this week. Um, and I wonder if they even... Uh, <laughs> Turned out a new faceplate. The 3D printer pops out for creation. Yeah. Pops out. Well, that, 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 there you go. There's another thought. You know, I mean, this thing's, when you think about it, <laughs> 3D printer, <laughs> it's a birthing machine. It's a birthing machine, isn't it? Oh, my God. Oh, it's my home, I mean, shoot, yeah. you know, popping out. If you're going to get started going that direction, I guess I'm just going to have to Well, to I can't help it. That's what it says. I know, I know, I know. So anyway, what they did is they printed out a nameplate, uh, a faceplate for the printhead casing. Um, they removed the casting uh, a day after its manufacture. And the nice thing about the 3D printer is that they can go in, they can they can set up uh, the file to actually print the object. I think a walk away, leave it alone. They don't have to supervise that that experiment. Well, of course, it starts spitting out chunks of meat. Oh, that could be scary. That could just be major, downright scary. Um, you never know. Yeah. So now they're scheduled to print about 20 objects in the next few weeks, all for return to Earth and analysis. Now, the other thing about this, uh, from an article we talked about last week when yeah. we introduced this, yeah. they're actually having the guys on the ground the with the duplicate yeah. printer yeah. printing the same objects, and what they're going to do is they're going to compare when they bring the stuff back down from, from over, they're going to actually compare the two and see what differences they find between the two. Yeah, if, uh, if anything. And, you know, I, I have a suspicion that they're not going to find that many differences. Well, you know, be curious also to find out timing. Well, timing is probably going to be different because when you're printing, you're printing up in a zero-G environment, so the printer actually has to work a whole lot of different Way so it's yeah. interesting to see what adjustments they had so to make on I, Earth. I would, I would, I would have liked to see whether or not it's not not just the the look of it, but you know the timing. Timing, yeah. structural integrity. Sure. You know, I mean, yeah. I I know I I remember the reading up on this. Image, yeah, yeah. I, I remember there's there's a lot of challenges to getting this thing to work because on Earth we depend on gravity to drop the base bed down while the, the print head moves. Yeah. Um, in space, they actually had to calculate 
the height of the bead and, and the distance that the bed had to move in order to get it to shift down for the next layer of print material. So definitely some um, some interesting new reading, things to go on. Um, our next article is actually interesting. We talked about this several weeks back um, when uh, NASA was experimenting with uh, a space internet back then. Now, what they've done is they've, they've done some further testing using a laser to transmit data point-to-point. Uh, point. Now, they've downloaded their first image over the new gigabit laser connection. And, uh, of course, it's based on a laser communication terminal technology as part of ESA's uh, relay system. Oh, I'm sorry, this isn't a NASA project. This is ESA project. Okay, this got in the wrong bin. Um, the space data highway will move the boundaries of space-based data communications significantly. Um, and hopefully, they're hoping that the throughput uh, will be huge. And in fact, during the demonstration, data transfer reached 0.6 gigabits per second of a possible 1.8 gigabits per second over 45,000 kilo, 45, kilo ohm between sophisticated laser communication terminals. Now, you know, we think in terms on Earth. Fast. Huh? Try to say that fast. Well, yeah, there yeah, you go. Now, keep in mind, on Earth, uh, gigabit per second is pretty much close to the top end of technology today. Yeah, yeah. Most of the Ethernet that we work with is on the order of... Um, Kilo, uh, uh, megabits per second. Mm-hmm. So this is an order of magnitude jump, and over these distances, this kind of performance is going to be critical when we look at the distances that messages are going to have to transmit when we start going to places like Mars. I mean, already we're looking at a, at a couple of minutes from messages that come down from the moon. Mm-hmm. Or, no, I'm sorry, a few seconds before the message actually gets here, as opposed to the Um, uh, immediate results that we get here on Earth. So definitely some cool stuff coming down the pike. Uh, Oops. My list moved on me too fast. Yeah, oops. Um, Okay, here's a new one. We just uh, picked up off the thing, actually. Um, I just spotted this just the other day. And they've got a new process and it's called poop to fuel. <laughs> I can tell where this is. Where this show is really going to. Now, basically, um, the pot has them, so you know. Right. Okay. The Here's the thing. For the most part, the idea of producing rocket fuel from wastes is an old idea. The difference on this has to do that these guys. Uh, And here we go, another one of these don't-read-it-fast kind of situations. Um, (laughs) uh, Praytap Palili, and I still don't think I said it right. Did you give me that? I think I did. Uh, Let's get this link over to you. No, I didn't. Bad boy that I am. You're just going to have to spank me later. Yeah, you Uh, (laughs) <laughs> so anyway, 
um, the process makes something makes useful something that until now has been collected and burned up on entry. Because what we do now with uh, most human waste is they baggy it and burns up on the Soyuz when they burn up in the atmosphere. Which is, you know, I'm sorry, this is weird. They bag it, just like dog poop. Yeah. And they sick it where? It, it goes into a, a little container along with the other poop. And it just goes into the Soyuz in a little corner, and when the Soyuz comes into the back into the atmosphere, it burns up. I'm sorry, progress ship, not Soyuz. Got to get it right. When the progress cargo ship comes back, or the Cygnus, or the ATV, or, or any rocket, any of the cargo so craft. So what you're telling me is that they're strapping this poop to the back of this, this this rocket, and then upon not a rocket, just the cargo ship. Whatever, cargo ship. And then when it comes back in the atmosphere... The whole thing burns up. It burns up. So you've heard that song, Raining Men? <laughs> it rains poop somewhere on Earth. Every time a ship comes back from the ISS. I'm thinking more of something hit the fan. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this, this show is really going really... <laughs> we right we stood right into the toilet. <laughs> But here's the thing. Um, now, most what this is called. They're thinking Thanksgiving is. It, you know, we we do eat a lot and consume a lot. Therefore, we sure do waste a lot. Oh yeah. So and, and this is this is a big issue. Now, it's not as big an issue sometimes as people would want to say, because what they're what they're doing is, and this is just one method that engineers are looking at, and it's called uh, basically a Bio, bio digester. Now, as wow. I understand it, bio right? Um, and I believe if I go down here, let me confirm this. Um, white noise, white noise, white noise. Yeah, white noise. Okay. <laughs> Basically, it's an anaerobic digester process. Now, it does several things. First off. It kills the pathogens in the human waste and produces biogas, basically a mixture of methane and carbon dioxide. And wow. it does this by breaking down into actual fuel. <laughs> there you go. But here's the thing. Not only does it break down human poop, but it also breaks down kitchen waste, anything that's not necessarily fibrous. So things like lettuce leaves, so things um, that you can't compost then. I thought you could compost. Yes, you can, but they don't have a compost pile in the space station. No. First of all, the thing would start floating around, and that would be really bad. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. Talk about shit hitting the fan. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is, is, and here's the thing. If they can use these, these basically it's a compost in a box, basically. All right? Because I, I looked up some of these, and the simplest one wow. is basically um, a tube in a tube. And as the compost decays in the bottom, it produces methane gas plus carbon dioxide, and that basically causes one of the tubes to kind of expand, and then you just harvest the, the methane gas out of it. The beautiful thing here is that you can use that methane gas for rocket fuel. You use beautiful in this particular circumstance. You can use it for rocket fuel. Okay. Now, and we've actually seen some guys try to use it for rocket fuel on Earth by, you know, lifting yeah. up their legs and bending over and using a lighter fluid, right? 
Yeah, we saw some of those videos. Oh, yeah. In fact, I think there's a couple of movies with people doing that on screen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we've known that we can produce methane. Uh, we are definitely methane and we can producers. smell it on occasion. We are definitely methane producers. <laughs> That's true. Some now, what they say, now the article does give us some neat details. I mean, they say they found the process could produce about 290 liters of methane per crew per day, all produced in about a week. Now, that's not a lot of fuel in and of itself. Right. Um, but, okay, it can also produce 200 gallons of non-potable water in a year. Now, here's a problem that I have with this particular type of article. The first the first point is, as they say, 290 liters of methane per crew per day, all produced in about a week. And when they come down here, the digestion process also would produce about 200 gallons of non-potable water annually from all of the waste. But, you know, um, why don't they say that that water is produced by so much a week? And then the article would make a lot more sense. Well, I mean, granted, you could yeah. take... 300, you could take the 200 gallons, divide it by 365, and, um, well, you'd have to break it down into ounces. So, okay, okay, let's see, let's see if I can actually do this. Yeah, actually See do if that. I got my brain math on. I just wonder if any math people are listening. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. So, you got 200 gallons, and you multiply that times uh, 16, no, uh, how many gallons, ounces in a gallon? 64, right? 64 ounces to a gallon? I, I think that's right. So that's uh, 12,800 ounces. And then we divide that by 365 days, gives us 35 ounces a day of non-potable water. Here's the thing. 35 ounces a day. And granted, that's not harvestable every day. You can't harvest that non-potable water every day or in a week. Now, in a week, um, that's uh, seven times three is uh, 21. So that's about, um, that's almost two gallons a week. And it's not something it's of, of basically I mean, if, black water. If you were, if you got your plants that you are, you are, you know, you trying to produce something. Um, you could feed you could feed that water that, to yeah. the to the plants, yeah. yeah. So there's there's some options there. There are some directions that they can take this to, which is which is really fascinating. Um, but you know, when you think about it, you take that 200 gallons a year, and you divide it out, and so that you get 290 liters of methane per day, uh, all produced in about a week. So that's uh, 290 liters. You multiply that by seven times, so that's 210 liters. Mm -hmm. No. Liters? That's not 210. That's 2,100 liters of fuel in a week. Yeah. You know, over the course of a month, they might be able to produce a sizable quantity towards um, their uplift fuel every month. In methane. In methane. Sure. I mean, that's, that's an interesting idea. Uh, I mean, you got six people up there, and they're all doing their thing two or three times a day, and you're composting that. Yeah. That could be interesting. Yeah. Some people do their thing more than two yeah. or three times. So, yeah, it, it, again, 
these are these are particularly interesting uh, tools that NASA and and engineers uh, throughout the world are coming up with. So um, here's another article. And now, granted, I haven't seen this in a non-paid site, but this little stub of an article is interesting in and of itself. Um, basically, actually, you know what? Now I do know what this refers to. They have found uh, that there is an additional layer in our radiation belt that um, filters out radiation, cosmic radiation. It stops highly charged particles dead. They just can't get into the atmosphere. This is, this is relatively new. Uh, it's a very unusual, extraordinary, and pronounced phenomenon, which tells us is that if you parked a satellite or orbiting space station with humans just inside the barrier, you would expect them to have a much longer lifetime, and that's a good thing to know. Although the plasma layer sweeps open uh, in the animation, they've got a little animation there. The motion is meant to reveal the view within the boundary in reality. The donut is always sealed shut, constantly protecting us. So definitely some interesting reading. Um, I went looking for some other articles in preparation for the show, but I didn't find them quick enough before the show came on board. So definitely a good start to read. Um, check it out. Uh, also in the related tech area, we have this cool little article, and they've got a great picture on the front. I, somebody posted uh, a reference to an article on this earlier this week on Facebook, and I missed it, and then I went looking for it, couldn't find it, but I found this one. And basically, they're calling this a space forge. Now, um, many of you who are nuclear energy fans will remember how the tokamak nuclear reactor works by suspending plasma at the center of a, or basically in a torus, uh, using highly, highly powered uh, magnetic fields. Well, They've done something similar by using a magnetic field to suspend liquid metal and levitate it within a magnetic field in a coil. Now, this picture is kind of cool the way they've got it shown. It really looks pretty awesome. The device allows the formation of solid metals to be studded while eliminating the effect of gravity and without requiring a container to hold the liquid. So. You get this thing hot, you metal it, and while you can sit there and watch it while it cools. You can't do that while it's sitting in a crucible because it cools on the top first. So here, um, upcoming experiments at the ISS hope to give insights by testing various metal alloys while a high-speed camera re records the forging. So this is actually really interesting, especially if we've got a way to power this. I could see this being used to forge all sorts of uh, really interesting parts in space. If you can control the magnetic field, you could literally create spherical parts or cylindrical parts by changing the shape of the magnetic field. You wouldn't have to create uh, a forge on the Earth or the Moon and then have to ship it up to orbit. You could you could actually start creating parts with a magnetic forge. That's, that is that's a promising good, technology. Yeah. You know. 
could you imagine? And I wonder if they can actually manipulate the field to create folded steel. I know how much you like your swords. You know? <laughs> Believe me, I'm already thinking oh, towards this face. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. All new moon ideas. There we go. There we go. All right. On to our uh, our next item, which actually puts us into the new space arena, where we're talking about uh, Sierra Nevada. Now, this is kind of sad news, especially to uh, people in California. Sierra Nevada, which was basically the company that lost out in the recent contract uh, for NASA, uh, they plan to close their, their parkway, California office, as it consolidates propulsion work across the country. Now, uh, some of this is um, not necessarily, they're hoping it w won't lead to um, layoffs, but they will be closing the one facility, which means they'll have to move everybody to a new facility. And this is in order to stay viable in the, because of the... Well, things. it's probably a cost-cutting measure. I mean, mm -hmm. if they cut the lease, the utilities, all this kind of stuff out of their budget, yeah. but they still keep the people, maybe they can pay the people a little bit longer. They can get the work done in another location. Facility, so, yeah. yeah. Um, also, their hybrid propulsion business has suffered several setbacks, and so this is also a reason uh, for the cost-cutting measure and so forth. So definitely um, uh, it would... Uh, Definitely be something uh, you want to keep keep up on uh, as uh, Sierra Nevada works to remain valid and, or what's the word uh, relevant mm -hmm. in the new space arena. Yeah. But here's the thing, you know, space. I have no doubt that Sierra Nevada should, has the capacity to succeed and stand on its own. They're already working on deals with uh, Stratolaunch to. Um, modify the space plane to be launched on the strato launch uh aircraft so that'll be an interesting thing to yeah. see how that comes into play yeah. um, absolutely uh keeping on with our new space thing um spacex hopes to recover the rocket intact after the next launch now what's interesting is is that spacex is now upping the ante um they have actually developed um, and in fact, I'm going to put the, the next link up here as well, because these two articles are actually uh, connected to a certain degree, because uh, SpaceX is hoping to recover the booster intact this time. I right. mean, whether whether they succeed or not, they're, they're estimating a 50-50 chance to actually re recover the booster. But i got to tell you, I mean, they've had at least three and possibly four um, uh, soft landing tests over the ocean mm -hmm. that the cameras have shown that it worked. So mm -hmm. now they're going to up the ante. And, of course, the second article that you're looking at uh, is where they are preparing um, the landing platform for a sea landing. And this is going to be interesting. This thing's, this thing's, um, this thing's like a small oil platform. I mean, it's built like an oil platform. It's got thrusters, not engines. And it's this big old flat thing. It's designed to stay steady in heavy seas. And so this is going to be an interesting launch and recovery 
this coming week as they launch, as well as Orion will be launching. In fact, this second article talks about Orion being ready for launch as well. So we've got some great things coming up this week. Next week's show is going to be really interesting as we talk about how these things played out and uh, and how everything turned out. Um, now, here's a little bit of news from the international front coming from down under. Apparently, there is now a guy who wants to build a... Uh, oh, you don't have it. I'm, well, why don't you have it? I mean, you're supposed to get this stuff by osmosis. Come on. You're a mom. I know. There's freaky brain thing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, anyway... Um, there's a guy, let me see, it's, uh, what's his name, what's his name? John Moody from Rockhampton, he loves it. Um, <laughs> Australia, is uh, basically stumping for a proposal that he has put together for a spaceport in Australia, basically in Rockhampton. Now, he's considering moving north with the proposal to another uh, another city, what was that city called? Townsville. Now, he's currently stomping for the Rock... Uh, what did I call it? Rockville? Rockhampton Airport. Now, they've already got runways there. Now, he came to the U.S. and was talking to people, and they says, well, well, you don't have to extend the runways, which his first proposal was saying we should extend the runways to use it for... A spaceport, and now he finds out they don't have to extend the runways. Apparently, they must be long enough. So, definitely an interesting thing to keep your eyes on. Watch uh, in the coming weeks as things move forward. Um, now, ISRO, the Indian Space Research Organization, is beginning their baby steps towards sending men into space with their own rocket ship. Now, this is important because they would then become, I think, let's see, it was uh, the Russians, the U.S., and China, I think. So that's three. So India could well become the fourth nation to put a man in orbit, or to put astronauts in orbit. So it's it's really interesting. They're they're getting ready to test their crew module in December as well. So we've got the Orion, we've got SpaceX, we've now got the ISRO launch in December. Uh, we got a boatload of stuff headed into orbit um, this this month. And within the next couple of weeks. So, did I give you that one? No. No. Okay, you're falling behind. Hey. <laughs> Look in the mirror. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Oh. <laughs> uh, again, moving on. Uh, they're talking about launching that. This next article. Uh, let me get this up. Gives us the date that that uh, unit, that crew system, is supposed to be launched in mid-December. Oh, that was in India, the one previous one. Yeah. ISRO is India's Space Research Organization. And they're hoping between the 15th and the 20th for the launch of the crew module. Uh, again, it is a test. And they'll also carry a crew module to its uh, re-entry characteristics. So they're going to do both the launch get it into orbit, and also test the re-entry things. So a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff going on in space. Okay, next up, the <laughs> Russians. Like you said, there's nothing going on this week, and look at all this stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got a boatload of stuff happening here. Um, also in the news, 
for those of you trying to keep up, and I know it can be challenging, um, the Russians um, are about to close down the Agara rockets. Well, actually, not about to. Um, tests of the new Russian ecologically clean rocket, space rocket Agara, will end in 2020. Now, it's planned to end the flight tests, um, and during the time, they'll have to build another launching site in the complex. Now, this new, they conducted a successful launch of the new light class Angara 1.2 PP rocket, the first new orbit capable rocket developed by Russia since the fall of the Soviet Union. Now, this Angara rocket is expected to make its maiden flight from the Lysak <coughs> Cosmodrome in northwestern Russia in December 25th. Now, they're, they're designed to provide lifting capabilities between 2,000 and 40,000 kilograms into low Earth orbit, and it's been in development since 95. Now, it would give Russia independent access to space and possibly to advance new technological development. And <coughs> also, it's key because it's going to replace the proton rocket family and this unit is key to get their own space station in orbit because it's, gonna, it's intended to launch their uh, space station modules up when they get ready to do that. Now, uh, from China, we get a piece that talks about um, one of, uh, we all remember the Chinese rover that uh, landed on the moon, took a few pictures, doing its thing, and then ended up going to sleep because it couldn't keep up. Um, but the service module that uh, helped to service that lander is now uh, has reached um, Earth Moon Lagrange Point 2. Oh. Now, what you need to know about this is, is that L2 is, I believe, um, the Lagrange point at the far side of the moon. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they gave us some pictures recently that showed the Earth and the moon in one shot. Yeah, that's cool. Which we, I don't think we've seen much before. And uh, Other than pictures, what else does it do? Well, <laughs> they're running several experiments uh, on different things. They're looking to, and I'm betting, uh, they did several orbital transfers. This is actually, if I recall, the first craft to actually target getting um, to the lunar L2 point. So we'll probably be have to wait to see what else the Chinese are going to re release to us mm -hmm. and tell us about what they're doing out at L2. But I suspect... Yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying, oh, we're taking pretty pictures. Yeah. I have a feeling, well, you know, if you're going to go to L2, hey, here's the thing. L2. What else are you doing out there? Well, here's the thing. Why is L2, Earth, Moon, L2 important? Earth, Moon, L2, being on the far side of the moon, is really important because it's the best launch point for a Mars ship. You get that ship or you build that ship in Lunar L2, and then when when everything lines up, you launch that ship towards Mars, and it's a whale of a lot cheaper to launch from Earth-Moon L2 than it is 
from Earth orbit. Always. Because you're deep into the gravity well of Earth at that point. And so if you get it out, if you build it out at L2, you're a lot better off, a lot less fuel to get it up there. But here's the catch. If you're going to build a ship at L2, you've either got to launch the materials. You've got to launch the materials from the moon. You can't yeah. launch those materials from Earth. You're, yeah. you're spending way more just to launch all the parts than if you just got everything up to LEO and launched from there. Yeah. So there's That's there's a whole mindset yeah. that comes into play. So this is this That's is our a, first a, first a, satellite a that actually that. yeah this is our first satellite that actually got up there. Um, our next point, and in fact, um, a couple of things to get involved out on YouTube. Uh, is a wonderful little video that um, y'all ought to check out. Um, Eric Wernquist, now I'm not familiar with the guy, but he created a video and put Carl Sagan's uh, words uh, to the video, and his vision is is particularly striking. It's about uh, it's about a four minute film. Uh, check it out. Oh, yeah. It is stirring. Uh, check Carl, it out after we're done. Carl Sagan's voice uh, and the images that are put together uh, are really inspiring. It's it's a great uh, great piece of work. So share that with you. Wonders. Huh? Yeah. Cool. So check that out. Now also in our uh, ways to participate, um, apparently. NASA, in its bid to get people involved, uh, is now created a board game called Falling Into a Black Hole. <laughs> now, <laughs> ooh, I want to play. And they've got Intergalactic Adventures board game. Uh, now, when I looked at the Falling image for this, that's funny. what's that? Yeah. Now, I have to admit, when I saw this, I got a feeling that. Uh, they must have partnered with Disney a bit on this because some of the images remind me very strongly of things I saw in Disney's The Black Hole film. Uh, of course, that's for some of you youngsters, that may be predating you by a few years because I, I remember I, that I came out, it. what, back in the, uh, what, 80s maybe? Yeah, yeah. You know, so some people were still toddlers back in that day. So, But um, anyway, it's, it's an interesting uh, idea, good article. Um, it's not real long. Uh, check it out, uh, and I believe they say um, you can get it and print it on, uh, if you have a color printer, you can print out the game board. Uh, they also give you a piece, you can, get it, you can print a huge thing on an oversized printer, and you can do a black and white. 1979. Wow. December 21st, 1979. 89-99-2009. And, and the move, the so book that's came thirty out some odd that. years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, it was that was an interesting film. I and remember. Was it Perkins was it? Oh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And that was actually either right before no, or right I, after I, he did I, Psycho. I always did like how they did that particular graphic. Oh yeah, the graphic was great. Yeah. You know, but it it, it was a fun film. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, so, I haven't seen it in so long. Man. Oh, yeah. It'd be cool to see again. Yeah. Movie yeah. night! <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think it's on Netflix. That'd uh, be interesting uh, to find out. I know. You know. 
Anybody so, else? Let me know. I, I have to, you know, I will say this. I did really like the, the ship that they came up on. Yeah, yeah that yeah. that big, long ship with all the lights and stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was just an awesome ship. It's like a city in space, you know? It was bigger. Oh, just yeah. And they had, some, they had some badass navigator robots in there. <laughs> they really oh, did. Oh, no, see, I don't remember that much. But the I'm cloaked have to robot. The robots were cloaked. They had the kind of the, the black... Uh, 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 gaseous, wispy faces under the cloaks. I remember when they blew up. They would, oh, and Maximilian. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that guy was just, he was enough to give you nightmares back then. That was a but, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, I love the little bebop guy, yeah. whatever his name was. Yeah. I, I forget his name. The little bitty white Robot. And of course, you know, Maximilian, being the badass robot, had a dark colored um, suit on, and the good <laughs> guy robot was white. You know? So, I mean, think about that. Red and white. Yeah. Dark and light. Yep. We just can't seem to get away from those kind of things. No. Oh. I don't even remember these toys. That's weird. Yeah. Well, you know, it's almost 8 o'clock. We've that? covered most of our news, um, yeah. and we're going to be coming up on our commentary section here in just a few minutes. Oh, we have a commentary section. We have a commentary tonight. Oh, okay. um, and so, and in fact, some of our articles tonight put me in mind to continue uh, to really focus on our commentary tonight. Uh, so why don't you do the announcements, uh, do our station okay. identification, okay. and when you're done, we'll take a few minutes break and come back. To the commentary section of the next space. Yeah. So this is Patty, and this is KWAD Radio, of course, and uh, these guys still have a chance to get in on this, you know, all these hundreds of people calling, you know. Got a guest call in. That's 714-242-5145. And it's always good whenever anybody calls in because that gets stops down from talking for a little bit. <laughs> And for those friends who know what I'm talking about, they they will be laughing right now. So, uh, what do we got going on? You know, I uh, hang on here. He kind of caught me off guard. I was looking at his black hole, really thinking, "That'd be so cool to watch that movie." So, uh, if, you know, our friend Hal probably has a copy. If okay. Hal's listening, you know. Oh, uh, the black hole. Yeah, 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 yeah. Movie night, movie night. So, that's what's going on. What's going on? What's going on? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's December. Tomorrow's December. Tricky December thing. We've got uh, our holiday author event on December 6th. That's next Saturday at the Press Room in Phoenix. And that's right downtown Phoenix. And I'm going to be there. And along with, like, up to 49 other authors. All uh, sharing our passions for our books and and uh, well more books and more books. So <laughs> come on out and take pity on us and uh, take a look at our our books and and hopefully take home a few. Uh, it'd be a good thing to you know, have to read over the holiday. Over the holidays is great. 
And those who got lucky, Glendale Glitter, Bell Rockin'. Obviously, the Glendale Glitter weekend was this weekend. I, as the glitter, you know, they lit up all the lights in Glendale. Um, next weekend, fifth and sixth, will be Glendale Glitter, Bell Rockin' Night. It'll be music and mayhem. But before that, we got to talk about what we've got show, coming up on the shows. Uh, we'll be talking about the film festival coming up, and we will have um, our guests on a special night on Tuesday at 5.30. Same time, just different day. So it'll be Tuesday on the December 2nd. We'll be talking about the film festival coming up. And then on on Wednesday, we're excited to have Tom Levine. Uh, he is a zombie connoisseur, zombie author. And uh, we'll be talking about that and his other uh, paranormal books that he writes. And, and you know, he's, he's a, a good friend of our friend T.M. Williams. So uh, we'll have lots of fun that night. So that's this week. And then on 9th, which is, again, another special uh Night be on Tuesday, December 9th. Again, same time, 5.30 here at KWAD Radio. We'll be talking to Guire Cooper, author, and uh, apparently a ballerina uh, once upon a time. And she is she writes about uh, her fiction is surrounding ballerinas. So that's definitely interesting. And for those of me who, you know, people like me who grew up wanting to be a ballerina way back when, it's uh, definitely something that's melancholy on my part. So, uh, December 9th, looking forward to talking. On the 12th, we'll be going to Mesa second Friday. Um, again, it starts at 6 to 10. Coming out to Mesa, it's always a good time out here. I know, it's the same weekend as the Phoenix Fan Fest. Um, it's a completely different part of town. So if you can't make it over to the Phoenix campus, especially on Friday, um, you know, stay over here in the side town or come on over and have some fun with us. And, uh, you know, again, it should be all the lights will be up, all the Christmas stuff. So we'll be definitely having a holly jolly time, probably around a space heater or two. So um, coming out for that, also that weekend of the... Uh, Phoenix Fan Fest, uh, 12th, 13th, and 14th. I've uh, also had the Glendale's Winter Wonderland going on on 12th and 13th, so that's Friday and Saturday, starting at 6 p.m. Uh, then we have the Central Library uh, Marketing Class and Signing by our friend T.M. Williams. Uh, if you guys haven't gotten in on this, uh, just I don't... Not sure how many faces we have left, but definitely is getting tight there on the number of uh, of seats we have. So uh, definitely get in on that because you'll have you're going over exactly everything she has in her marketing book. And uh, well, I mean not everything, but you know uh, quite a bit. And you'll be able to pick the brain of someone who's been in marketing uh, the marketing business world uh, for quite a long time. So definitely come on out, and that's. Uh, going to be at the Central Library. And if you want more information, also on the very front of uh, this particular show, 
is an ad for this particular class. So it's got information on start time and, and I believe an address on there and every, everything. So uh, take a look at the information on the show. Uh, as the pictures go through, she is one of the sponsors for the particular show. Thank you. Uh, let's see what else we got. Oh, and of course, obviously, every weekend, uh, 7 o'clock, on the 7th and the 14th, we've got the next space show with Alan Joe. <laughs> so I can't forget that. Um, we're not sure whether or not we're going to be doing a show on the 28th because Al's going to be out of town. No? So... It's just too tough to try to figure out to do that on the particular um, uh, laptops and whatnot. So uh, we probably not be doing a show on the 28th, which is last weekend of this month. But that's you know, hey, you're gonna you're gonna get us uh, up until then. I know. He's traveling that day. And yeah, he's gonna be traveling, so uh, can't possibly. Yeah, that'd be really too tough one if you're traveling and it's not, yeah. you're not in a stationary position. Uh, then on the 19th and 20th, again, Glendale got Spirit of Giving weekend. And that will be... Yeah, and don't forget about the Hey Girl Show. Woohoo! Hey Girl Show is going to be on Wednesday, December 17th, starting at 8 p.m. to 10. Uh, this, again, this is no cover to come out coming out to... Uh, oh, man, I just want blank here. It's a brand new place, so... Time Out Lounge. Time Out Lounge on, on Mill Avenue. Uh, Mill Avenue and Southern. Uh, hey Girls Americana Show is going to be on live and will be taping. Um, also on the... And then, of course, December 18th, um, and again, in the heart of Mesa, Queen's Pizzeria, which is right downtown Mesa. It's December 18th on Thursday, 6.30, starting 6.30 to 8.30. We're going to have a pop culture. It's our creative culture third Thursday. And uh, the WAD, uh, we're there, uh, obviously showing newspapers and talking to people. Um, we also have our Christmas show. Uh, we're also going to have a little Christmas party. Uh, white elephant gets if you want to. It's like ten dollars. You know, don't spend any more now. If you want want to be part of that, definitely get a hold of me and uh, or or Song River to find out more information about that particular night. That's December eighteenth. So and after that, you know, we have all days and uh, not much going on there except taking care of business. So taking care of business. So. Want to go on the two-minute medical here? Wow. I'll try to find something. Long break. Okay, hang on. i got to find a song that's going to be that long. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, okay, I got I got one. And we're going to take a short break, and then uh, I'll, I'll get a drink, and I'll be back.
It's that time again, and we're back. This is KWOD Radio, and we're our next space show with Alan Joe. And uh, okay, so now I know we're talking about we're going to be. This is your commentary section. Not that the whole show is not really a commentary section. Well, we we talk about the news as we go through, but then in this segment, um, we talk less about the news and more about. Um, the future of space, man travel, that type of stuff. And there, there is a movement afoot. There is the NASA group. And in the NASA group, um, they want to do lots of exploration. They want to send people to Mars. They're done with the moon. There's no reason for NASA to go back there. And, um, and in point of fact, that's probably true. That's what you're talking about. Right. I'm getting there. NASA wants to go to Mars. NASA is about exploration. NASA is not about setting up settlements. And in fact, in fact, history tells us and has shown us that governments don't fund settlement. They don't fund colonies. It's not what governments do. Um, but the second aspect is, is that when you look at new space, their efforts are geared at eventually reaching high-volume launches, uh, getting uh, increasingly reduced costs uh, in order to be able to spread, uh, get more people into space. So you've got kind of a, a triad of, of issues there that new space is focused on. They want to make it business viable. Now, what this means, though, is, is that the general push is to put people into space, people on the moon, people on Mars. But not just to go up and visit and come home. Increasingly, we're seeing a move in the public's mind that the expectation is gradually building that when people go to the moon or they go to Mars or to the moons of Jupiter or the moon, uh, Titan, the moon of Saturn, um, they're going to go on a one-way trip. And this is inc well, being, they, becoming increasingly recognized that this is I the only way to go. I don't how they could do Mars any other way anyway. I don't either. So them thinking, well, we're just going to go for a visit and come back home. Yeah. Go spend it's six months to a year, turn around and come back, and spend another year coming back because it's a longer trip coming back than it is going out. And that's, yeah. that's just that, – that creates a whole – slew of potential issues. And then, then there's there's this thing. When we look at history, um, you have the historical expansions of people and the, the eventual migrations that occur didn't occur until there was an infrastructure in place. I mean, yeah, you had the pilgrims come over, but the pilgrims came over and they created their infrastructure. Right. And when you look at Jamestown, the first actual community to get a solid anchor in place, mm -hmm. it took them three tries. Yeah. See, this is something you people know. don't think about and, yeah. and how we were going to have to go to and, space. And another thing that people don't think about, and that's why I love this particular article that I sent you to put up. If you'll yeah. put that link to that article right up for me. Um, this this article actually, I think... Why uh, we should mine the... Why uh, we should mine the moon. Yeah. Now... I've also said 
that when you look at history, whether it's the U.S., whether it's Australia, uh, or any of the other colonies to South America, the Caribbean, whatever, when you look at the historical goals that the company set that they would do when they got to the destination, when they finally got people over there, they found out that what they thought was there wasn't profitable. Right. Happened um, the Spaniards going to the New World and blah, blah, blah. Well, the Spaniards have always had their eyes gold-colored yeah. anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Um, despite <laughs> that, when we look at history, it's riddled with samples of where you went, you, you set this goal to achieve this fort or settlement or... Um, uh, bastion of of commerce, this harbor, and you hoped to mine bastion or trade commerce. or uh, acquire in whatever way you might want to do. I mean, the Spanish were were very fond of conquering um, the American continent, but in every single case, what they set out to acquire from the destination was not what they ended up getting. They came to America for various different uh, uh, things like gold and silver and precious, other precious gems and things like this. And what they ended up getting was tobacco and cotton, which became cash crops, yeah. huge cash crops. In fact, still to this day, cotton and tobacco are two of the largest crops that this country produces, um, as well as the food and things like that. So, B-A-S-T-I-O-N. <laughs> Gee whiz. B-I-S-T? B-A-S-T. No, B. <laughs> beast, come on. B. B. A. A. S. S. T. Yeah. I. Oh, there it is, Bastion. No, you didn't. You misspelled it. Now, the article, have you put the article up there? Yes, you did. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's like so, the Bastion of Commerce. Oh, you, you like that phrase, huh? Yes. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> what we know about the moon is that... Um, there are what are called volatiles. Now, volatiles are basic items that we could mine on the moon. I mean, on the surface of the moon, you've got all sorts of things like, um, oh, where'd it go, where'd it go, where'd it go? Where's it at, where's it at? Where's it at? Raw materials uh, in, in metals that um, we could produce well, now I don't know where I went. Anyway, um, titanium, aluminum, in addition to gases that are buried in the regolith in other ways, oxygen, nitrogen, um, as well as other volatile things that can be used to then grow stuff, if you can get a decent environment around there. There's the evidence for water ice and coal traps. Um there is evidence that we could mine the surface for things like helium-3. 
Okay. Which exactly what do we use that for? Helium-3 is used, currently is used as the fuel for nuclear fusion. Now, the problem is that while it's extremely, and I mean obscenely, extremely expensive, because it's very rare on Earth. But the author of the article points out, um, where is it here? What does he say? He makes an, an intriguing point. Um, the light isotope of helium, helium-3, is implanted in the lunar soils by the solar wind. And we get all sorts of space folks uh, talking about if we could just mine the lunar regolith, scoop it up, center it, extract the helium-3, and ship it back to Earth. But this author makes an important point. It's not like they're nuggets of, of gold. and Exactly. Well, well, here's the thing. The first thing is, is that sustainable nuclear fusion using helium-3 hasn't been shown to be practical. They're still using more energy to produce fusion than they're getting out of it yet. It just, yeah. It's just not yet practical. And the concentration of helium-3 in lunar soils is so low, 10 parts per billion. And strip mining would have to process hundreds of square kilometers of the lunar surface in order each year in order to make a significant contribution to Earth's future energy needs. And we have to strip mine just about everything we can see. And that doesn't even include having to deal with all that dust. You know, I mean, you stir up that much dust, you're going to end up hazing the whole, or the whole, the whole surface of the moon. So a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff to think about. Now, but he also points out um, that there are that it remains difficult to identify any single lunar resource that will be sufficiently valuable to drive a mining industry on its own. And this is an important point because um, if we go to the moon, we're, or if we go to Mars for that matter, or if we pick an asteroid. The problem is you're not going to find a single resource that's going to be so plentiful that it's going to be easy to get out and ship it back to Earth and make bazillions of dollars. No. <laughs> that's not reality. Yeah. And it's the same lesson that was pointed out to people into the New World as they went to Australia. In fact, Australia was um, to get... Um, also to look at other crops and things like this. And do you know that in the 18th century, 19th century, when they actually did get established in in, um, in Australia, do you know what the biggest crop they had for a while? It's still one of their bigger crops. It's wool. They share more sheep for wool than a lot of other places. They have a lot of sheep. They have a lot of sheep. Michael Sherman. And the sheep apparently do quite well over there. Yeah. Down under. So it's there's there's a lot to be uh considered in this area. And again, the thing is, if you're gonna bootstrap and he, he talks about this briefly, he says we need to think of a hierarchy of future applications. Now, if we're gonna use lunar materials 
to facilitate human activities on the moon itself, then we've got to get to the point where we're using resources to underpin everything we do there. We're not going to be able to ship parts and supplies to the moon for very long. It's just too expensive. Even if we look at SpaceX, all right? Yeah. Launching to low Earth orbit alone is going to cost $120 million. So what you're saying, basically... And that doesn't include the food or anything else you're going to put on that rocket. Is whatever they're going to mine is, is, is something they're going to be using themselves. True, but... He, he kind of... He alludes to the idea of an export industry from the moon. But he doesn't go into a whole lot of detail. And part of the reason, I believe, is because nobody's looked at the lessons of history. When we look at settlement on the moon or on Mars or even on uh, Ganymede and Callisto out of Jupiter or further out Titan of Saturn. These are all practical settlement locations. They're rocky places that we could dig in, set up a habitat, and then proceed to take advantage of the environment like we humans always do. But here's the rub. We can't go there expecting a single product to make it profitable. It doesn't work. We're going to have to go there with the idea that whatever export products we generate are going to be start out real small. And a case in point is, is that when we put people on the moon to live permanently, they're going to have to gradually reach a point where they're producing more than they're using. Once they reach that point, now they can export back to the ISS. They're not going to send stuff to Earth. It's just too expensive but they can send it to the ISS. But here's the eye-opening point. Once you've got people on the moon, you can close the economic loop. Instead of sending all of the trash back to Earth's atmosphere to burn up, yeah. that's raw materials. Sure. Whether it's human waste, whether it's food waste, or whether it's parts and materials from experiments that don't work anymore. We just went in the full loop ourselves. There we did. Yeah, we did. Again. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and here's the thing. The International Space Station, while you can put a, a biodigester up there to harvest methane and things like this, it's going to be a lot easier if you put that digester on the surface of the moon where you've got a little bit of gravity that will help your digester work a lot easier. I can and see the commercials now. Give, <laughs> take your best shot. Take your best shot. <laughs> oh, it's a digester. I mean, it does everything for you. All you have to do is <laughs> get it done. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the point I'm trying to get to here before you digressed us to a different direction. <laughs> Is that any infrastructure that looks at settling the moon has to look at what are they going to export and also where are they going to import stuff? Because if we just assume that we're going to ship brand new supplies from Earth via a launch from the ground straight to the moon, you're asking for trouble. It's unsustainable economically. You just can't do that. It won't work for very long. I mean, you're talking $120 million to get something into orbit that can then continue to the moon. Yeah. 
Now, another point to think about, and, you know, he talks about infrastructure here in this article. The thing of it is, Hey, hey, hey. Cat's <laughs> interrupted here. Get out of the way, cat. Anyway. She had something to say about this. Yeah, she did. Doesn't like what I'm talking about. Well, she's not interested in going to the moon either. No. All they do is meow at the moon. Anyway. Cat's <laughs> on meow at the moon. Hey, you haven't seen Chip and Dale, the cartoon. They've always got not not what Chip and Dale. Chip and Dale. Sylvester. Sylvester, yeah. I think Sylvester, Tweety. Tweety yeah, they always had a cat or two up on the fence, wailing at the moon. Yeah. They weren't wailing at the moon though. Well, it looks like. Anyway, the thing is, we need to get to the moon before we go anywhere else because there's materials there to provide rocket fuel, and if we put people there, we can. Make our own rocket fuel yeah. to add to that. There you go. And if we put people there, they can farm food that they can then send to the International Space Station. The International Space Station can send all their waste materials over to the moon to be reprocessed. Uh, the electronics can be disassembled. The experiments can be taken apart. Stuff can be melted down. Um, we can then take that the, 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 the air, the water, the moisture, all of that waste can be added into their habitat to replenish the losses that they're going to experience. Mm. Then they can turn that around and generate supplies for the ISS. And in fact, over time, I could see that some experiments will be coming, be constructed on the moon and sent to the ISS instead of constructed on Earth and sent to the ISS. Sure. Which again, if experiments could be constructed on the moon, shoot satellites could be carried by a ship over to the moon for refurbishing. Yes, we talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. And once the moon is self-sufficient. The space trash over right. to the moon or the ISS and work it. Process it. Process it. And either retool it or melt it down. Exactly. And it really is something that we should be able to generate a recycling center on the moon mm -hmm. and then gradually as we develop this economic loop between the ISS and the moon we can actually then start working to get people to live and work in orbit near the ISS there's no reason we can't once we have a an orbital transit station it's a small step to start Sending people from Earth to Earth orbit onto the moon, and then from the moon we can build our uh, Mars spaceship. And who says we have to build a whole spaceship from scratch on Earth and lift the thing well, into orbit? Anything? I mean, think about this. I know. If they sent the old spacecraft, the cargo craft, oh. over to the moon, they could be refitted and assembled together into a much bigger spacecraft. Sure. Imagine all those cargo modules tied together. That's a lot of space. <laughs> and some of them even have their own power generation facility. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. So, all in all, 
uh, I liked his article because it's it's real world. I mean, it looks at mining the moon and realizing that we've got to think in terms of economic progress. If we can't make a commercial basis for going to the moon, then we might as well not go because it's whatever, however you go to the moon, it's it's unsustainable if you can't generate a profit in in the long run. And this is what business is looking for. This is why. SpaceX is the darling of the news today. And space commercially viable. And insurance rates will go down. If insurance rates go down, more people can fly. If more people can fly, now we can have more launches because more people can get to orbit. There is this cycle that, that's got to build and grow, and we have to be the catalyst to do this. And I think in the next couple of years, it's going to be interesting. And I, I just, you know, something I'd like to, to point out here. Um, some of you may know what's called a, uh, I don't know, what is it called? Um, the windows to launch to Mars. Now, we have a launch window coming up to go to Mars where the actual transit time, given existing technology, is less than the nine months expected by NASA. Because NASA doesn't expect to have a ship ready until almost 2020. So they're expecting a trip of between nine months and a year to get to Mars. Right. Well, in 2018, Mars actually gets close enough for our shortest distance in at least a decade. Wow. If, we, if we could be prepared to launch our Mars ship that must be what in 2018. For. I think it is. I think they're they're well, hoping they're to get prepared. And I think there are other people out there who are beginning to get that idea. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I'm willing to bet that by by the end of the you know by the end of this year, the beginning of next year, I'll bet we see some new things coming out that are going to really open people's eyes. Well, what more than what they already have? Oh, sure. I mean, just some of the stuff that we've talked about on this show is eye-opening, to say the least. Yeah, for sure. The articles that we find of related technologies, opportunities to participate. You know, I mean, when we look at some of these opportunities to participate that we've collected, and I'm going to run down the list real briefly. Um, just, just to so remind you folks who are just coming in. Just to remind the folks who are just coming in. Uh, we had the board game we talked about tonight. The black hole game, uh, which is which is interesting. We'll add that to our list. Um, they've got an Ast NASA runs public participation asteroid grand challenge, which is a collection of ten new projects to give opportunities for the public to participate in the asteroid grand challenge, and it accelerates their initiative. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, <laughs> Space Gambit is one. Develops ways to connect the maker community with NASA. Asteroid work, and in fact, um, the maker community has generated a lot of the interest in 3D printing, which precipitated NASA having one built for them by Made in Space Company. Right. So there's there's one way where this participating actually makes it things. Space gift ideas for our uh, adults, and also space gift ideas for kids. Um, Good time to talk about that. Oh yeah, just incredibly great times. Um, Apply for the, in fact, I saw a post on Facebook today 
that the 2015 and 2016 Mars Desert Research Station crew applications are now open so that people can go apply to be at, um, to go visit the Mars Desert Research. Now, people, I don't want to see does anything happen that, like Black Friday, okay? No clamoring over each other, no knocking each other over to get these things, okay? Oh, none of that Arnie Schwarzenegger jumping across the shopping center. That's huh? right. Okay. Um, also, uh, the the uh, Mars Society actually has two stations. There's the Flashline Mars Arctic Keep Research Station. Out there. What? Keep it classy. Keep it classy. There's the Mars Arctic Research Station on Devon Island, um, up in uh, Nunavut, Canada. There's the Mars Desert Research Station, which is in San Rafael Swell in Utah. Uh, and you can actually go on the Mars Society website and actually sign up for things. Also, every year, or at least the last couple of years, they've held a Mars rover competition held at the Mars Desert Research Station. So I should go out and test rovers there. Mars Initiative is uh, one of the programs that currently wants to send people to Mars. They have a Mars Prize Fund. Uh, Celestial Suds. Space Beer. Space Beer. Okay. There's the Boy Scouts and the Boy Scout Exploration Program. Kids can join up. Uh, they can be part of Boy Scouting and learn merit badges by it's understanding our beer, progress. Beer and Boys. Beer and Boys. There you go. Then there's uh, Virgin Galactic put out a book. Um, you can build your own spaceship, too. It's kind of an activity book for the young kids. Um, and also, there's a game out there, a flight simulation game for the Windows PC, uh, available um, <clears throat> if you look for Orbiter Simulator. Wikipedia has an article. They've got a, a forum. Uh, but the Orbiter is a free and realistic space flight simulation program the Windows PC. A lot of ways to get involved. Wow. And then, of course, there's the Planetary Society, Space Society. There's the Mars Society. There's the Moon Society. There's, I mean, lots of organizations that you can tap into. There you go. <laughs> so a lot of ways to get involved today. So let's, let's not be strangers. Let's look at uh, further ways to get involved, be involved, to help push this, this hope and the drive that we can move into manned space flight very soon, develop it, and begin living on the moon so that we can then emigrate not only to the moon, but to Mars and beyond. Yay! We hope everybody has had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving. 8.30. 8.30. Yeah, we're, we're a little bit sh uh, shy tonight, and that's good. I think okay, we covered we a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's been a great night. A lot of stuff to cover. A lot of things to catch up on. Um, we hope everybody has a, a very pleasant uh, uh, holiday season this year. Find lots of great deals. Uh, make everybody happy. And don't forget, folks, sometimes it's the little things that actually make the biggest impact. Handmade things. There you go. Things of the heart. Uh, these can really touch people if you take the time and apply it. Sometimes you don't need to go fight the crowds to buy some trinket at the store. Do. You know. So um <laughs> have a great holiday season. We'll see you in a week. Yay. Be safe, be bad, and be good at it, folks. Oh that's K Rod Radio. 
This is Chatty Hill Train signing out for the night. And like I said, we will be back again next uh, next week. Well, this week, depending on what you think about it. Uh, the second, again, is going to be the film festival. And that's going to be Tuesday the 2nd and at 5.30. And then on December 3rd, 5.30 is Tom Levine, author and... We're talking about paranormal and zombies. And then, of course, the holiday author event, which I will be at. Uh, I'll have a table. Come on over and say hi. Uh, we will have newspapers there, free newspapers, and free stuff for people to to take with them um, and have a great time. Again, some odds, you know, Almost 50 authors are going to be there, toting their wares. So, say pretty honest and come on out. It'll be 10 to 4 o'clock at the press room in Phoenix. So, with that, I'm going to say good night. And you guys have a great one. And I will see you, or we'll be hearing you again on Tuesday. That's where I am again. <laughs>